alien spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. Welcome to the 61st annual Subliminal Deception Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit. My name is Cody, and I'm joined by my pal, Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Not doing too bad. I just ate a delicious enchilada, chicken enchilada bake. It was uh, quite good, actually. Are you Are you a Costco shopper? Uh, I am not. So whenever uh, I'm not a member, but uh, members of my family are. So mm. if they go, sometimes I go with them. I would recommend some of their like take and bake stuff. Pretty fucking good, actually. Yeah, my uh, it's my sister and my mom. They're pretty big fans of all of the uh, Kirkland products. So yeah. they love that shit. Oh, God, they're so good. Anyway, Phil, I, we we need to you need to tell us in detail about uh since i it seems you have survived your first return to the bar um since your state opened up what what can you tell us about that yeah um me and uh some of my friends went to downtown gilbert last saturday night and it was a pretty good vibe there Uh, a lot of people who didn't give a fuck about wearing masks or you know social distancing really but there was not a lot of people there like normally there's like a shit ton of people in the bars, hundreds of people out on the street. And there wasn't a lot of that, but it was nice to get out of the house, um, have a few beers. Most of the bars closed down. Well, they were restaurants, but like bar restaurants, most of them closed down by about 10. So mm. they were trying to get people to fuck out of there. So basically you had a uh, 30 year olds night out, basically. Yep. I had a <laughs> coming up to over the hill man's fucking night out. It was pretty cool. Um, so the arcade bar that usually is packed full of people, like all of the games are all taken up. There was actually like a shit ton of open games and me and my friends actually got to play like the arcade games. Yeah, I bet that's a nice side effect because, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. The goddamn arcade bars here are a nightmare 90% of the time. So, yeah, overpriced drinks. Fucking, yep. You can barely even get on a fucking machine. And then the like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the Simpsons, like the four player games, they're always taken up. So those games are awesome. Fucking love yeah. those games. Turtles in Time. Is it Turtles in Time? I'm not sure which Turtles it is. It's um, it's the one. Well, obviously April. They keep kidnapping April. Yeah, but. yeah. I don't know why she keeps getting herself into these predicaments, but uh, I guess you know what. She's so invested in her new story, she's got to get to where the action is, so yeah, she's getting right in there. Anyway, since this is a conspiracy podcast and everything, we need to talk about the recent UFO events. Um, maybe we'll, towards our year end, we'll kind of bring this up again, maybe more will come out, but this is pretty fresh as of this recording. I think it's like three or four days old, basically in, uh, I think it's Maje. Uh, Brazil, it's spelled like mage, but I think it's Maje or something like that. But they had a bunch of mysterious blue lights, and people have caught them on camera, and we were watching them before the show. Now, the interesting thing is, is they're 
taking down photos and videos. Uh, they're not really sure who's doing it, but uh, seems like they don't want it spreading for some reason. And uh, let me read the statement from Google before you say anything here, Phil, because this is doesn't make a lot of sense to me, especially if you watch the video. Um, it says, in this case, what people are seeing in the imagery is a reflection that is temporarily overloading the satellite sensor. Essentially, the sun reflected off of the surface of that building at just the right angle to briefly blind the satellite. This is pretty com- a pretty common phenomenon known as saturation or blooming. Uh, I, I don't, I, maybe it looks like a lot of flashes though for that, uh, to me in the video. Yeah. I don't know exactly. They're talking about the sun reflecting off the side of the building. Most of the videos I've seen were at night and like, I don't really, I would have to kind of watch a video having them explain what the fuck they're talking about. It kind of sounds like swamp gas to me. I it definitely could be. I mean, obviously that's a thing. Okay, I'm. I was curious because I watched this uh, ghost documentary yesterday that just came out. It was actually pretty good, called "The House in Between." But they were talking about Saint Elmo's fire. Is Saint Elmo's fire different than Swamp Gas? I don't know what Saint Elmo's fire is. Well, Swamp Gas was just an excuse that the government used. They oh. would always say like something like, "Oh, it's just Swamp Gas," or "Oh, it's Venus." Venus is especially bright tonight. See. St. Elmo's fires like that random spontaneous combustion that happens. That's a not nor uh, natural phenomena. Like I don't know why. Like in the sky, sometimes it'll just like be a little fireball. I guess for some reason they call St. Elmo's fire. I have no idea why. I have heard of uh, like the red lightning they talk about, where it's like a ball of red light, and oh, they ball claim lightning. it's just is it ball lightning? Ball lightning. Yep. Yeah, that shit is crazy. Um, but it, it just like on that documentary, the they have a video of one of the rooms all of a sudden starts illuminating uh, in the in the ghost documentary, and like people are like, "Well, it could be." They start talking about St. Elmo's fire or ball lightning, which is normal. But ball lightning, that room would have been torn to shreds if <laughs> that was what was inside of there. But it's very weird. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. We'll have to keep a closer eye on this. It's just, uh, it's weird that it happened so recently and like not a lot of people are talking about it and they don't, they seem to not want people to talk about it. Yeah. It's kind of funny that they instantly have this excuse for it. And at the same time, they're like, oh no, it's a totally normal phenomenon. So just get rid of these videos. No one needs to see it. Well, the, the, the thing I know we could get flack for is like. The documentary scan, uh, scamdemic or whatever, people always say, oh, they're taking that down, blah, blah, blah. That's a little different. And uh, I think David Eichen is kicked off of YouTube now, I think, because hmm. he's uh, he started morphing his reptilian into coronavirus stuff, I think. So, yeah, yeah he... he's a good uh, he's a good shyster. <laughs> he is, <laughs> you know. He knows which fucking way the water's turning, so. <laughs> well, uh, let's do one quick story from uh, Madam Bennett's World of the Unusual. Let's uh, let's do a real quick one here. All right. Uh, this one's titled, Train Engineers' Ghostly Light Haunts Lonely Road. What is it with ghosts haunting lonely, desolate roads? Like, 
It just adds to the sadness, right? Yeah, I guess. It's almost like they're waiting for something. Um, that house that I used to live next to, uh, where the big church was yeah, uh, in England, there was supposedly a, like a like a gateway, like a door um, to the grounds of that church. And supposedly there was a ghost that would haunt that little like gateway. I used to walk like by it when I walk home from the pub all the time and never saw anything though. Yeah. Yeah. I walked with you one time back from there. I remember you were telling me that story. Like as we're walking right by it, like, yeah, they, people see a ghost through this little gate here. Usually. Yeah. It's usually, I guess when people were driving, they would see it. Mm. Anyway, let me finish here. Uh, a spooky light that many believe is the lantern of the victim of the, of a train wreck that has been haunting Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Dave Drana of Menominee Falls, Michigan, says he has been seeing the strange light for the past 10 years. Incredibly, the light actually popped up next to his sister Diane, who was sitting in the passenger seat of a car driving down Highway 45. The story that a person cannot see the light on clear nights is not true, he says. We went out on a clear night it came out a lot it comes out every night legend has it that the light comes from the lantern of the ghostly engineer who died in the train wreck now the ghost wanders the area trying to flag down other trains that's really sad if that's true this this is what i talked about before if you die in your work clothes and you have to be stuck in them the rest of your life there's no that is hell itself oh yeah what was that movie where, um, what was it? The was it the Frighteners where you basically spend the afterlife in what you died in? Yep, yep, yeah. The so there was like one dude who haunted the graveyard who was just always naked. <laughs> yeah, he would follow around Michael J. Fox. It's a very underrated movie, by the way. I I, I really like that movie. Yeah, I think you've probably seen it about a thousand. Oh, <laughs> that's one yeah. of your that's one of your rewatched movie. Oh yeah, that was a. Teenage movie used to watch all the time. Now, yeah. I, I want to, we've been forgetting to read her predictions for the week, but I want to read this because this one is extra perplexing. Now, it is Repu Republican Party officials will be shocked when President Reagan offers Jimmy Carter a top post in his administration. I don't think that happened, and I don't think that ever would have happened, but uh, that's kind of, that's kind of neat, right? Yeah, that is, uh, I mean, it is something that would catch your eye if you were reading through it. Um, <laughs> no, I do not believe that ever happened, though. I've, I feel like they weren't a real big fan of Jimmy Carter. No, they were not. <laughs> they, they did not like him. All right, well, you ready for the uh, meat and potatoes? Yeah, let's go for it. And it's actually perfect talking about all these lights, the UFO lights, the uh, ghost light, I guess, all this light talk. It's uh, going to fit in nicely with our episode here. Now, I was, I'll admit, I was struggling this week to find something that I wanted to talk about. And I happened to stumble upon this thing called the Shag Harbor incident. Um, have you ever heard of this at all? No, I have not. Okay. Now, basically what this is, we're going to go into detail here, but it's, some say it's like the Canadian version of Roswell, kind of. So it's mm. it's a very interesting story. Not as much clout, I guess, as Roswell has, but it's a it's a very interesting story, and it's very 
weird how Canada ended up handling the entire incident. Now, uh, I watched a documentary about it, right? About a nice 48-minute documentary. The main main guy talking and his little UFO partner look like the most generic-looking Canadian men I've ever seen in my life. Full denim. They look like they're wearing 80s clothing. The one guy was very old. He had a gray mullet. It was it was beautiful. Both of them wearing Canadian tuxedos. Bet. <laughs> Like half tuxedos, they weren't oh. wearing. They were wearing like the the eighties like random person jacket. It was just. It, it's pretty funny. It's not a bad documentary though. And uh, there's I'm, oh, I was gonna say quick. There was there's this uh, Canadian TV show that is on Hulu that we used to watch all the time called Letter Kenny. I don't okay. know if you've ever seen it. Uh-uh. It's fucking hilarious. It's uh, basically these guys up in Saskatchewan. Uh, are just they're like uh rednecks like canadian rednecks and they drink all the time and get into sh- like fucking shit it's pretty funny you should watch it <laughs> well trailer park boys are canadian is a canadian show i'm pretty sure yeah this is uh it's a little different a little different it's, okay yeah it's pretty funny maybe i have to check it out well uh let me let me say shag harbor how they say it the the main guy says shag harbor no how does it say shag harbor or something like that. Very Canadian. It's like Shake Harbor. <laughs> it's it's pretty funny. Like, and it sounds like he's from Boston, but never really learned how to read. Or <laughs> it, I'm I might have to put his clip of him saying that in this episode because it's so funny. Anyway, uh, Shake Harbor is a small fishing village located on the Atlantic coast in Nova Scotia, Canada. Now I didn't remember exactly where Nova Scotia was, but it is uh, basically right above the East Coast, New York, Vermont, Maine, all of that. So that's yeah, it's it uh Oh, it's just off of the coast of like Canada on the eastern side. Yeah. So it, it seems like the whole place is kind of like a bunch of little villages almost like Nova Scotia itself. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it's like a bunch of like fishing towns and shit mm. like that. On the night of October 4th, 1967, around 11.20 p.m., there were reports of a mysterious glowing object that had crashed into the waters of Shag Harbor. Countless witnesses would have all sorts of different reports of seeing this mysterious object and hearing a crashing sound that sounded like a bomb going off followed by a loud whoosh. And like I said... This is kind of how the crash incident begins. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a lot of sightings prior to the crash and then kind of leading up to the crash and then post-crash. And kind of at the very end, uh, we'll get your opinion on what you think it is. So so I was going to ask quick. Yes. Do they think that this is a crash or a USO? Um, it It's hard to say because I believe... After we get through it all, I believe it is a failing aircraft that is being assisted by another aircraft that stops it from crashing, kind of. But it goes in the water, so okay. it crashes into the water. I'm assuming it, you know, if any object hits the water fast and hard enough, it's going to sound really fucking loud, right? Oh, yeah. It'll be like fucking, might as well be running into cement. Yeah, so... I assume if this thing is going really, really fast, hits the water, maybe that's what they heard. 
I mean, the whoosh obviously makes sense, but uh, the initial crash sound, I don't know. But anyway, um, I'm going to talk about a few sightings right before uh, the crash happened here. Now, one of the very first sightings of the mysterious object in the area was actually reported by Air Canada Flight 305. Around 7.15 p.m., Captain Pierre, I think this is Charbonneau, I don't know, Jesus, it's a long French name, sorry if that's not how you pronounce it. Uh, He pointed out to his co-pilot, Bob Rolfington, uh, that there's a strange object out to the left side of the aircraft. Uh, He would later describe it as brilliantly lit, rectangular in shape, with a string of small lights trailing the object. At 7.19 p.m., the pilots reported an explosion near the object, and two minutes later, a second explosion occurred near the object, which formed a blue cloud around it. So Now, I was going to say really quick, these were Air Canada pilots, right? Correct. So they probably had like a very decent amount of... uh, Maltzads like beer oh, yes. before they before they took off. 1967, you bet your ass. Oh they're, yeah, they wasn't hop- even illegal back then. <laughs> they're hopped up on Molson and uh, I don't know what donuts probably <laughs> maple syrup. <laughs> yeah, what if they they called in like, oh God, Pierre's all doped up on that maple syrup again. I think he's seeing shit outside. <laughs> he's been chugging Crown and maple syrup all day. <laughs> <laughs> So you know it's going to be a safe flight today. Uh, But yeah, so now this flight is, I can't remember the exact distance, but it's a fairly good good amount of distance from where the crash happened. So what we're going to be finding out here through these stories is essentially what we believe it is, is like the aircraft is slowly uh, descending and all these people are seeing it until it actually crashes itself. Okay. So these are the first people to see it, so... It crashes around 11.20 p.m., and they're seeing it at 7.19 p.m., so it's like, happens over a pretty long period of time here. Now, uh, Daryl Dory and his sister Annette and his mother were all sitting on their front porch in uh, Mahone Bay when they noticed a large object maneuvering above the southwestern horizon. Now, Mahone Bay is roughly... 108 miles from Shag Harbor. So we're getting a little closer here. Captain Leo Howard, no mercy, mercy. That's his nickname, apparently. Howard, no mercy, mercy. He was the NWA heavyweight champion of the world at the time. Dude, (laughs) if Vince McMahon hired this guy to fight, I would be watching wrestling immediately. I'm just going to say that. That is a great nickname. (laughs) God, why can't we have cool nicknames like that? Come on. It's sweet. Oh, wow. Your name's No Mercy. You must be really badass with the enemy. Nah, my boys saw me handling my kids one day. <laughs> now no, they call me No Mercy. He, no, he's like, actually, um, my crew has a very good 401k, uh, all paid health insurance, and we even offer dental care. So I have a lot of mercy on my crew. <laughs> and just <laughs> Is No Mercy the Super Nintendo WWF game? Yes, it is. Okay. It was named after a pay-per-view. Okay, yeah, we used to play the shit out of that. Anyway, Mercy was aboard the MV Nickerson. Very uncomfortable word to say there. In You uh, did it. You you got it. You got it. Good. <laughs> uh in Sombro, Nova Scotia, 
when he noticed four blips on his radar that were stationary. Now, when he looked outside the vessel's window, he saw four bright objects sitting in a rectangular formation. Now, it wasn't just Captain No Mercy who saw this. His entire crew of 20 men also sat and watched this rectangular object with four lights on it. So that's pretty interesting. Now, Sombro is about 174 miles from Shag Harbor. So it's a little further away. I don't, we don't know the timelines of Daryl and Captain Mercy, but I assume they're around kind of the same time period. That's kind of odd because um, you said it's like a military flight, right? What do you mean? The Captain No Mercy, his flight? No, no, that's just a fishing vessel. Oh, this is a fishing vessel. Oh, yep. okay. I thought it was like a military ship or a military flight, no, something I, like that. I, I, I don't know. MV Nickerson. I'm pretty sure that's a fishing vessel, like, uh, or a cargo vessel, maybe, or something kind of like uh, the, the MV- Hoita. Yeah, Hoita. So, oh, okay. So they're not going to take as good of like logbook times and everything. Okay. I thought maybe if it was military, they would take like logbook. Yeah, maybe like, it is. Exact but times. Maybe it is, but it sounded like. It was a ship, like a cargo ship okay. or something, a fishing ship. We're going to find out, like you said, a lot of fishing here, a lot of fishing mm-hmm. in this area. So now around the same time, uh, plenty of local radio stations were receiving multiple reports of a glowing object hovering in the sky all around the area. Now, all these calls are coming in at about 10 p.m., an hour before the actual crash itself. So, like we said, people are seeing this shit every. They're seeing these weird rectangular lights all around the area. So, it's it's like building up to something happen. I don't in Roswell was there like reports prior to it crashing, or it was just the crash itself, and then reports afterwards, right? I think it was just the crash itself. I think the area was pretty remote, so I don't know if there was a shit ton of people out there to see any like see the actual Lights crash. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah okay that yeah that makes sense now uh moving real real close to the crash itself this is from the documentary uh a man named Lori wickens it is a man uh was driving with his friend and two girls down the highway when they noticed a flying object flying parallel to the direction they were heading down the uh, highway now, Lori went on to describe the lights as flickering in a sequence. So almost imagine the four lights and you'll have like one to light up, then two will light up, then three will light up, then four will light up. Like I was thinking about this. Now, if this thing was preparing, preparing a crash or I knew it was going to crash, um, do you think UFOs would have like a SOS light pattern maybe? Possibly if they had a... Let's, I mean, if it was like four smaller crafts that were attached to a mothership, maybe they had some kind of signaling with I, their lights. Or that could have been the light. They think that with UFOs, the uh, the lights are coming off of their propulsion systems. So maybe they were just firing their propulsion systems. Oh, like it was failing in a. Yeah. Failing. Like in it a wasn't working and it was flickering. Okay. I, that just hit me right now because I was just thinking, um, you hear about all these UFOs and most of the time they're pretty, pretty stationary or like their lights follow a pretty distinct pattern. 
But this guy was describing it as like a weird sequence that kept repeating over and over. So I don't mm. know. This guy, this Laurie Wickens guy in the video, he seems very, very convinced of what he saw. So it's uh, it, it's pretty interesting. And with a name like Laurie, you know that he's probably pretty serious dude who doesn't take <laughs> shit from anybody. Hey, look, he had him and his bro and two chicks heading home from a dance. Lori's got it going on. I'm just going to say that. Yeah. Every dude I've ever met with a woman's name is always any dude named Mary or Kelly is always. <laughs> You've met a man guy. named Mary? Like Mary in, but. Oh, uh, OK. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I've heard Lauren, uh, Lori. Uh, what was the one you just said? Kelly. 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 Jamie. Yep. It's funny because two of my male cousins are named uh, Jamie and Kelly. Yeah, I have cousins named, male cousins named Kelly and Jamie. It kind of makes me wonder, though, is Kelly an old Irish name? Like an I old male, so. old male's Irish name or whatever? Ooh, Jesse, there you go. Yeah, Jesse's pretty, there's a lot of dudes named Jesse, though, so. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I suppose. Anyway. It's not as odd to be called Jesse. <laughs> now, back to the story here. Now, now Laurie and his babes, um... They were following, the way he describes it, they were following the object. It was parallel alongside of them. Their highway was coming up a hill, and then the aircraft came out of sight. Okay? Now, Lori said, as it was going over the hill, he he noticed that it was, like, wobbling. The object was wobbling, okay? So he believed it was about to crash. But in Lori's mind, this entire time, he thought it was just a plane, but he thought it was weird, uh, the light pattern. He thought that was very strange compared to what you would think about with a, an aircraft, right? Yeah. So he noticed it was flying funky, the lights, but he thought it was just a plane. And apparently when he came over the hill, he could slightly see it. And that's when it crashed into the water. So you said, Kel so you said Lori and his friends were on their way back from a dance, right? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly how many Labatt Blues did Lori have at that dance before he decided to drive home? Well, according to his testimony, um, he sobered up with a poutine, so he was fine. <laughs> him and his him and his pals had some poutine. They sobered up, got in the truck, and headed home. Yeah, I'm guessing that like Canadian rules back in the day, probably the drunkest driver is the one who goes home, the <laughs> one who drives home. Well, to be fair. He must not have been that drunk because after the crash itself, he immediately pulled over to a phone booth and called the uh, RCPD. Now, uh, I've been playing a lot of Resident Evil uh, uh, 2 Remake, right? And I yeah. think that the Raccoon City Police Department, I think <laughs> they are literally called the RCPD. But obviously, this is the Royal Canadian Police Department, I, I believe. Yeah, the Mounties came out, uh, came out on horseback. <laughs> that is exactly what they are, too, is fucking Mounties, dude. Also drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sir, you cannot be drunker than I am. I will not stand for it. I, I'm pretty fucking hammered, boy. <laughs> what if they, like, gave the horse a breathalyzer, then gave you a breathalyzer, and if you're more sober than the horse, you're perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fine. It's fine, officer. My buddy here's driving home. <laughs> What if Lori called and they're like, that better not be that fucking Rocky and Bullwinkle again. God damn it. <laughs> anyway, uh, 
Now, uh, multiple witnesses, including Lori Wickens and three RMC, uh, RCMP officers, all went to the harbor and just sat and watched this object emitting a yellow light. And they said, as they're watching it, it's emitting this bright yellow light, and they believe it is hovering about eight feet above the water. So all of these people are literally just sitting here, just staring at this thing. But in their mind, they all think it's just a uh, uh, airplane still at this point. I don't know how or why, but they still believe it's a, a just an airplane. Did it say if it was making like zigzagging patterns or was it coming down in a straight line, like doing circles like an airplane would? Because if it's in the air this long and going down, you would think it would be after like do the spiraling thing where it was trying to like decrease speed. Well, Lori describes it as a wobble. Okay. Okay. So if you think about, I mean, when you see fictional uh, crafts or whatever in movies, they're always a wobble. Like the, I guess in the documentary Independence Day, like when he's crashing, it's a wobble, right? It's not like a spin, I don't think. Yeah. I don't know. So that's just how we envision craft or UFOs crashing, I guess. But it's almost like it crashed into the water. He called the cops. They all went down there to check it out. And now it's kind of just like hovering there while everybody's watching it. Oh, um, well, yeah. The, uh, like, the way that aircraft, the way that like UFOs are shaped, well, in popular culture, they're like unaerodynamic as shit. So when they don't have like their propulsion systems working, they just fall like a fucking rock, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Now, now the interesting thing is, is the they described almost like a you could see a wake of where the craft had kind of like moved and. From its wake, there was like this weird yellow foam just sitting on top of the water. And they all saw, could see this. So you had the, the craft shining, and then they had like this yellow foam just like sitting on the water. I have no goddamn idea what the hell that could be. Um, but after Lori and the Mounties and all this are watching it for a while, the object to them literally just vanishes. He claims it didn't go underwater. And it didn't go into the sky. It literally just disappeared. That's basically what happened uh, to the craft at that point. That's interesting. Almost like they had gotten the ability back to camouflage itself. Yeah. And it just like, oh, shit, that people are watching hide. But the the interesting thing is we're going to find out here when we talk about like the government looking into it. It almost seems like it was able to go into the water without making a splash or anything. Okay. Like maybe it was dark enough out it could turn its lights off and get into the water. I I don't really don't know. But anyway, um now after its disappearance, the RCMP and all witnesses believed still that this was just a downed aircraft. They still believe this. And at the time, the RCMP relied on local fishermen to aid them in the search and rescue. <laughs> this is no joke. They didn't have their own force, so they would call up local fishermen to head out in their goddamn boats to go look for shit out at sea. Boys, call up the Royal Canadian <laughs> Navy. <laughs> it's just a bunch of old drunk fishermen in the water. I need the Some... mo- I need the the le- the most sober fishermen we got. Get them out here. 
All right. Well, there's a hundred fishermen out here and only three of them are sober. That'll have to do. The lucky bastard who finds it gets a Tim Hortons on me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, so they contacted uh, Lawrence Smith, uh, who would take his boat out uh, into the harbor to look for wreckage or bodies or something because Lawrence was told this was just a plane crash. Um, so he headed out and he said it was like a fleet of fishermen and they, they couldn't find anything where were in the location where they told them that this object had, had crashed. But again, they found all this yellow foam that had stretched for about a half a mile. Now, Lawrence in particular said they were just sitting there kind of observing the foam and he said it just smelled really bad of burnt sulfur, which is interesting. I don't know what would cause any sort of vessel or anything to smell like burnt sulfur. Yeah, I don't know. Um, When you said that there was like a long trail of foam, I was kind of thinking about one of those firefighting planes that sprays like that foam on forest Mm. fire. I don't really know what that's made out of or if there were those kind of planes back then. Now, yeah, I was going to say, would they have had that technology in 67? No, probably not. But they probably would have been just using water. But um, uh, Lawrence and all the other fishermen, they basically said they've never seen, you know, these are grizzled fishermen who are out on the water. And they they claim they've never seen foam like this in their life. So I don't know. Maybe the could I wonder if this is a UFO, could it have been leaking something maybe? Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, smacking into the water might have broken open some coolant lines or shit. Yeah. I don't, they said it dissipated after a while, but it was kind of just like chilling there. I don't know. It's, it's really weird. Now, uh, after the search and rescue, naturally, the military got involved. Uh, but after an hour of searching by plane and everything, uh, they couldn't locate anything. No planes. Who controls the, the airspace? Air traffic controllers? Yeah. Like they contacted all the, the like air traffic controllers and all them. Not a single plane had been reported missing, uh, commercial, domestic planes, nothing. Nothing's been reported missing. Nothing was even in the area. Um, nobody was having technical problems of any kind, so I don't know why they'd have any reason to lie about a plane crash, especially if it's such like a, I, I don't know. I guess, why would they cover up just a plane crash, I guess? You know what I'm saying? But uh, yeah. they didn't have, they had zero evidence of any of that, so... They're not really sure what it is at all. The military, at this point, claims they have no idea what it is. So, uh, right after the incident, obviously, the story was fucking everywhere, all over the news, all over headlines, claiming that the UFO had crashed. And a big reason for this is because the RCMP had witnessed the event for themselves, and they were openly talking about... They believe this was a UFO and that their superiors had told them it was a UFO. So they were ju- they were just telling everybody this. Um, yeah, definitely not the United States, because if it was the U.S. at this time, they would have that shit buttoned up pretty fucking quick. This is what I thought was interesting. Um, there There is another famous UFO crash in or not crash, but UFO event in Canada that happened prior to this in the 50s, I believe. Um, and that's kind of when Canada started to ramp up its like UFO project blue book, project blue book horseshit like the U S has. 
Um, but apparently at this point, this was such a big event that the Mounties figured they could just talk about it like normal people did. Um, but we're going to find out. Uh, they quickly changed their mind. So, <laughs> Well, it does depend on what time it happened in the 50s. I think that can- that Canada became its own country sometime in the 50s. So if you were still under British control, the British would have been pretty tight-lipped about that shit. But maybe the Canadians didn't really care as much as the U.S. and Britain did. Interesting. That That's very interesting. Um, now, by the way, uh, if you ever want to do an episode on it, apparently, from what I remember, so we have Project Blue Book in the United States, and in Canada, they call theirs Project Magnet. Project Magnet. So, yeah, so don't know why. Uh, and it, in the video, they had Area 10. I think that's supposed to be their UFO place, but we'd need to. Yeah. I need to dig in deeper to confirm that. You would think they would call it something a little bit more Canadian-y, like something a little bit more ridiculous. Like what? I don't know. Have something to do with maple syrup, or have something to do with uh, like beavers or some shit like that. Well, I mean, I'm pretty convinced that all the secret UFO locations are probably going to be hidden, like below a or a hockey rink or something. A oh, curling definitely. league, curling league building is actually a secret UFO uh, military base. They'll never suspect it. <laughs> Under a frozen lake. <clears throat> yeah, best place to hide it. Yeah, it's true. Now, two days after the alleged crash, uh, Navy divers had been dispatched to the believe the to the believed crash site to collect whatever debris they could. Now, several witnesses would observe the Navy, after their dive, loading an object wrapped in hazard warning bags into their, I believe it's like a semi or like a big military van or something. They loaded it up, just drove off. And the Navy would tell uh, the people that essentially what they were doing were placing markers and what they loaded up in the bag were just uh, markers for their diving thing or whatever. Yeah, so- it's a little weird that they would put all of the caution, like, tarp around <laughs> markers. That's what it's I'm little- saying. This yeah. is, A lot of people, I mean, this is, if we believe people that they were loading up these hazard warning bagged objects that they had collected out of the ocean, um, to me it sounds like they found something that they wanted. Like a craft or like, I don't really know. Yeah, it's kind of like when uh, in the U.S., whenever they would haul off a UFO, they would just tell the locals like, oh, no, it's just something like a like a oh, we broke down a vehicle out in the woods and we're just taking it back. And it's covered by like three tarps. And, you know, you know, there's always there's always some weird excuse that like these militaries used for when they would have some like tarped thing that they were taking away from the site. Now. Um, you know who Stanton Friedman is, right? Rest I believe so. Yeah. He's, he used to work for the government and he became a very big proprietor to the, uh, UFO community. I think he might've been the founder of MUFON or whatever, but he was talking on this documentary and he brought up a, a very valid point that really stuck with me is, um, while, when the United States was first testing their uh, atomic bombs, right? The... Yeah. They tested it, I think it was in New Mexico. Big explosion, everybody was talking about it. And their immediate report was, 
oops, we accidentally had a munitions dump explode. Everybody just said, okay, that's what it is. Now, the reason they were hiding it was very apparent because they didn't want their enemies to know that they had successfully created an atomic bomb, right? Yeah. So if you think of all these incidences in that sort of a mind frame, then it makes sense why they would never actually tell you the truth of what they're finding. Yeah, it's definitely a lot easier just to lie to, like, you know, locals than it is to try to cover. Like, you're covering it up, obviously, but if you try to keep people like the locals away from it, then they'll get more suspicious than if you just kind of, like, give a little lie about it. Yeah, and I guess a diving marker would be the perfect excuse for what they were hauling away. Yeah, well, I mean, probably a lot of people weren't, divers at the time they probably didn't know you know what they would be looking for if it wasn't like a marker so well yeah obviously the atlantic ocean from what i remember it's usually pretty gross water um but in the video at shag harbor uh that shit looks fucking freezing like it's that cold looking water where it's like i wouldn't even want to touch it because it looks so goddamn cold especially that north atlantic (laughs) Fucking, yeah, you wouldn't want to fall in there. No. So I imagine those divers weren't having a great time. No. Anyway, now official military records uh, detailed communication between all of the bases after the alleged crash. And in their notes, there's a lot of uh, descriptions of bright lights, a dark object, multiple flying objects, and uh, one of their papers... It literally has the word UFO written on it in, not typed up in, uh, by someone's signature, or I mean, in someone's handwriting. Literally, it says UFO on it, and they had pictures of this fucking thing. So, oh, you mean like they were in the, in the newspaper, they had a picture, and it said you, like no, a UFO? No, the guy who made the documentary had all these old military records that they kept at, kept open at a, a university or something. And buried in the stack of them, there is one, um, the the report about the sighting of this alleged crash, and they have it typed in there, the word UFO everywhere. For some reason, Canada doesn't redact a lot, apparently. Uh, And someone in their own handwriting wrote UFO on that particular document. That's weird. Yeah, it's very, very weird. Now, um, a former radar technician who had been working at the military base during the time of the crash, claimed that after it happened, they were all sworn to secrecy, and the higher-ups knew exactly what this was. Now, according to this guy, his, his commander briefed him, saying that they believed the UFO had started to ascend in northwestern Canada, wobbling its way down until finally crashing into Shag Harbor, uh, way to the southeast of Canada, and they believe, like I said, this one was crashing, and there's another craft uh, by it that I don't know if it was trying to help fix it or help trying to get it back flying again, or you know what I'm saying, like something like that. Or if one lost its nav, like if one lost its navigation, and then the other one was trying to guide it, like trying to fly beside it and like trying to help it figure out where it's going. Well, yeah, something like that, or I 
or like help it after it crashed or it, doing something like to the the other craft was trying to do something with the one that crashed. I don't know. That's what they believed happened. Maybe that would be why there was multiple lights. Maybe the uh, the Air Canada pilots, the flashes, maybe that was at malfunctioning. Did that- you say that it started to come down in northwestern Canada? Right. That's a long fucking way. That's, yeah. That's the whole width of the fucking continent. That's what I'm saying. So Holy shit. So, like, let's say the Air Canada, I should have wrote down where it was, but that might have been flying over the middle of Canada somewhere or something like that. So this thing could have been descending for a long goddamn time. Oh, God. Yeah, that's yeah. I thought that the Air Canada flight was in like eastern Canada around Nova Scotia. I didn't realize that Air Canada flight was like in the middle. That's a long fucking way. I I don't want to say that for sure, but I know it's not around Shag Harbor. Okay, because it happened. They spotted it about three hours prior to the crash. Oh, okay. So it wasn't just. It it made it sound like it was coming down, but it wasn't. It was coming down really slow. This this was more like descending all the way across Canada. Yeah. So that, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes more sense. So yeah. So I'm assuming if if we're to believe this military guy that the craft, I don't know, something happened wherever it was in Canada and just I don't know, glided down or I don't, was able to hover that far. I don't know. I, we don't know how ships work, so I don't really know. Yeah. Now, the uh, the final thing I have here, now the creator of the documentary, he believes what happened was, okay, when the ship disappeared, right? He believes that the crafts descended into the water and hid underneath uh, on the floor of the ocean or whatever, why everyone was looking. But he also believes that the crafts then moved to... Uh, FCS Shelburne, which was a secret military base at the time. Now, the purpose, this military base, obviously they were telling everybody it's a military base where they study ocean waves or something like that. Uh, It comes to find out it was a submarine detection base that the U.S. and Canada shared together uh, all during the Cold War. So it was designed just to detect uh, Russian submarines. Oh, that's what, yeah. Trying to find those fucking Ruskies. Yes. Out so, in the ocean. So they, this guy speculates that either the crafts were aided by the government there, or I can't remember. It was like a few days after the event happened. Um, that base reported a Soviet submarine coming too close within like the, the parameters and had to be like flagged away or whatever. Like a bunch of boats went out to, shoo it away or whatever. So yeah. almost like Russia was looking at something there too. So uh, I, I don't know. It's uh, it's an interesting theory, I guess. But well, at uh, this time, supposedly the Soviets were shooting down uh, UFOs and like collecting them. Like the United States military wasn't like actively shooting down UFOs, but the Russians were. They were actually firing on UFOs. Supposedly, now, at the time. Now, hold on. That fits perfectly, though, because if you're talking about northwestern Canada, that is almost Russia. So what? Yeah, if- they might have been. They might have been trying to escape, like way, way northeastern Russia, and got fired at, and then they just kind of flew over Canada, like crashing or whatever. Yeah, wouldn't that be On crazy? If that, 
But then maybe that's why this guy thinks that the Soviet sub came that close because they knew it was there or something. Yeah, or they maybe were tracking it. Yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's interesting. I, I guess I had never heard that Russia was shooting down UFOs or whatever. Yeah. Allegedly. Well, I mean, there's there's old like Soviet pilots who are claiming that they were giving orders to, if there was an unidentified flying object, they were given orders to go, like try to shoot it down. Talking about a lot of their buddies were getting shot down by these things. And you basically had to get like a lucky shot on it. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, if they can fly around like that, of course they've got better technology than a Russian fighter plane or whatever. A MiG back in the 60s. <laughs> yeah, you pretty much have to go up there knowing if I shoot this thing down, it's going to fuck me on the way down too. Like yeah. there's no there's no me fucking coming back to the base in victory. It's you're you're probably going to have to eject out of that bitch. Hey, maybe they fucking hopped him up on vodka and said get out there comrade and do it for your country. Gave him a tiny amount extra more vodka than they usually <laughs> give him. Here's your vodka and beet soup. Get out here's there, your, soldier. Here's your bor- here's your borscht and your bread and your vodka. Get out <laughs> there, son. <laughs> what if they literally convinced them that the reason UFOs are our enemy is because they want to uh, destroy every single ounce of vodka that there is in Russia. And these they, pilots like, we're not taking this shit. You're not touching use, our vodka. They use our vodka as fuel. There will be none left to drink. You'll have to settle for water. Can you imagine if they convinced like the South in the U.S. that they were, uh, they were, the aliens were going to take away their whiskey? Might be another civil war breaking out. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> anyway, Phil, let's round this out. After you kind of heard the full story, it's not quite as uh, fantastical as Roswell, but it's a very interesting UFO story, I think. Um, what In your heart, what do you think this was? Um, ooh, God, let's see. So the craziest thing about it is, like, its flight path. Like, how, like, normally things only crash for, like, a little bit. Like, if they're really high up in the air, traveling in a direction, they get something shoots at them or they have a malfunction. Normally, they don't go across the entire continent. Um, makes me kind of think maybe it was a satellite. Could um, be. Possibly like a, a missile or they were testing like an intercontinental ballistic missile or a new aircraft. And maybe it was something where the aircraft was using a, like a weird kind of like propulsion system. And it only looked like it was crashing. Only looked like it was like that wobble you're talking about. Yeah. It only looked like it was crashing, but really it was coming in for a landing. Well, yeah, th- I mean, that could be too. It, I think the weirdest part is nobody can really deny something crashed there, but them sitting there watching it for a while, like multiple people, including the mounted police watching this thing, and they're all on record talking about it. That's yeah, the, the part that's weird. The Mounties and their horses caught it, so <laughs> that's pretty crazy. Them damn horses were never the same. <laughs> uh, what if they're like, how the hell is that horse flying out there? What's that yellow horse flying out there for? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I I don't know. This is, uh, when I first started reading it, I was like, oh, this is kind of just a uh, shorter UFO story or whatever. Then them when you really watch it and watch people talk about it, there's a lot of layers to this thing. Um, they've, they literally created a comic book about this crash. It's kind of neat. That's weird. 
I was kind of thinking too. Imagine if it flew all the way from northwestern Canada to Nova Scotia. Imagine how many other people saw it but didn't like report on it. Or it was back in the '60s, so if it was in a like a rural area, they just didn't have the like the means to contact anyone about it. I mean that that could be. We 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 don't know. Like uh, I think when we were talking about that UFO crash in London or in England or whatever. Like, remember the radio stations were being bombarded and TV stations were being bombarded by witnesses, essentially. Uh, Canada was experiencing that same thing around that area. Yeah. Well, in the area, like I imagine like the coastal areas are more populated than like central Canada. Even today, central Canada is pretty sparsely populated. That's Um, true. Well, maybe the craft was like high enough in the air at that point that you couldn't really see it or couldn't tell it wasn't a plane. Well, especially if a uh, Air Canada flight saw it in the sky, it must have been pretty high still at that point. Oh, yeah, that is true. So from the ground, maybe that'd be hard to see. But I, I don't know. It's it's a very compelling story. It's very interesting. There's actually a, another Canadian uh, UFO story that I actually found this one from that I might do in the future, which was really wild. Um, I've been feeling a little alieny lately. So uh, anyway, yeah. if uh, if anybody wants to give us their impression of what happened at Shag Harbor, where can they do that, Phil? Uh, they can hit us up on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. They can also get a hold of us on Instagram, uh, subliminaldeceptionpodcast on IG. That's actually the best way to get a hold of us. Uh, Cody and I both have our own personal Instagrams. Mine's SD Pod Phil. Cody, you got a couple? Yeah, uh, follow my personal Instagram at Cody Zabub. Uh, hit follow me. I'm always posting, uh, <laughs> I guess, anti conspiracy theory memes uh, from crazy people on the internet. And yeah, you've definitely been uh, popping Reddit a lot on oh, your, yeah. your Instagram lately. Dude, there's so much good stuff on there that I can't even post because I'm. <laughs> Uh, it's either way too long to read or I don't know how people will interpret it. But yes, I I really enjoy doing all of that. Um, you can message me on there. Feel free to. Uh, I'll chat with you about whatever you want. Uh, otherwise, the last thing we need you guys to do is to log on to iTunes, leave the show a five-star review. doesn't really matter what you say, just uh, something written preferably. Uh, or if you're a Spotify user... Hit that follow button. You'll always be updated when we drop a new episode. Uh, And that's the Spotify version of a review, apparently. So uh, I hope you guys all enjoyed the episode. Uh, It's a little step back from the paranormal kick I think we've been on for, I don't know, are aliens paranormal technically? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, some people think that aliens and demons are pretty much the same thing, just, uh, well, like the cultural context is different, but yeah, I was going to say, if you do another Canadian uh, story like this, make sure to give me the heads up so I can learn some more Canadian references. <laughs> I felt a little, uh, my arsenal was down a little bit. All I knew was uh, Molson's and Labatt Blue and, you know, hockey. What's that? What's that one Canadian movie? Is a, I think it has Donut in the title of it. It was like made during that Dan Aykroyd era. Oh, uh, well, there was Canadian Bacon with John Candy. No, that's not what it was called. I don't know. We'll look it up. We'll talk about it next week. Anyway, guys, uh, like I said, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Otherwise, we will see you next week. Thanks, guys.